sermon podcast of Dan Roschke, pastor of Bethlehem Lutheran Church in Fairfax, Virginia. For more information about Bethlehem, visit our website at blclife.org. But now, here's Pastor Dan and his sermon for today. Let's pray. Dear God, be with us as we try to make things right and help us again this day to trust in you. Amen. All that we have and all that we are comes from God and belongs to God. Are you with me on that? (laughs) Our families, our children, our cars, our money, our jobs, our computers, our land, our homes, our shoes, our hands, our beating hearts, our very breath, all that we have and all that we are comes from God and belongs to God. An exercise for you in this season. Try just catching yourself or uh, try to insert God's in place of times where you say my or our. You know, instead of saying uh, my church or our church, say God's church. That's a pretty easy one. Instead of saying my house or our house, say God's house. Instead of saying my kids, say God's kids. Instead of saying my car, say God's car. Okay, you get the idea. It's, it's a challenge. I mean, are you with me on this? All that we have and all that we are comes from God, belongs to God. So if God walked in the door tomorrow and wanted an accounting for how we've managed what's been entrusted to us, our cars, quote unquote, our families, our money, etc., what would we do? I think we might panic. Like the manager in the gospel text, in the story today, in the parable that Jesus tells, I think we might panic like that manager and try to make things right in a hurry. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. And in our gospel text, the nervous manager, quote, makes things right by being creative and forgiving debt. And even if the manager does all this just for personal gain and security, in the shadow of a poor job performance review, he's commended by the boss, by the owner, for being shrewd. I mean, this can be an upsetting text. It is, and it's a really hard one to figure out. It seems totally unfair that God would commend this kind of behavior. And it's interesting how we so easily see and say, hey, that wasn't his debt to go out there and forgive. He just starts slashing debts, but he was just the manager of the accounts. He wasn't the owner. That wasn't his to give away. That wasn't his debt to forgive. We are so quick to catch on to that. But I think this parable really works on us when we see ourselves in the mirror as the manager. And remember what I started with here, that all that we have and all that we are and all that we have been entrusted to manage comes from God and belongs to God. That's when the parable starts working on us. Oh, See, this is finally a story about God. It's no surprise that the manager has been untrustworthy. 
I mean, look at how we squander what we have. Look at how we weasel our ways. Look at how we can curry favor. That's nothing new. The surprise here is how God responds. Luke's gospel is an amazing one. Because just when you think you've got the hang of where Jesus is focused, these later chapters of Luke, here we're in chapter 16, these later chapters come and flip everything on its head. Just before he arrives into Jerusalem, just before the passion, death, and resurrection narratives, Jesus surprises us. One would think, by reading the first part of Luke's gospel, that Jesus' primary concern is always those who are marginalized, those on the fringes of society. And in those days, of course, we're talking about people who were poor, people who were sick, people who were women, and any others where the powers of the land uh, chose to silence them, to overlook them, to oppress them, right? I mean, first part of Luke's gospel it appears these are Jesus' single greatest concern, these people, the target of Jesus' mercy and justice and compassion. And we can all sit back and learn from that if that doesn't include us. Lots of examples to illustrate this, but let's just quickly remember that Jesus sets the tone in this whole gospel uh, by being born among the poorest of the poor to a teenage girl who's falsely accused, revealed first then to smelly shepherds, out in the field at night, working the night shift. And we've certainly got our modern day equivalents to the marginalized. The worship planning committee, as we look forward, our, our, our team here at Bethlehem, as we're looking forward at texts back in the summer, worship planning committee advised me and all of us really, let's get away from just using this term, the poor, and let's get specific the poor or the marginalized. Let's, let's be specific here. Let's not gloss over it. Let's, let's acknowledge what are the modern day equivalents? Those without clean water. How about those folks? Those living in what's called food deserts. You know, you can't get to a grocery store where there's fresh produce surrounded by 7-Elevens. Those wrongly accused of crimes and even locked up for them and even killed by the quote justice system. Let's get specific. What do we mean by the marginalized? Those who are trafficked for sex. Those who are unaccompanied. Minors. Those who are refugees and not welcomed in the new land in which they find themselves. The list can go on and on. I always thought that's what Luke was about. Even if that might mean trouble for the privileged for white, upper-middle-class, heterosexual men like myself, for example, with jobs and 2.5 kids and some inherited wealth or a lot, and luxuries and privileges I don't even recognize, with a longer leash to squander and weasel and curry favors and even talk back to police officers. The, the first part of this Gospel of Luke can be gently ignored by us who are privileged. It could be outright rejected too. Or, or we could sentimentalize those stories. We can turn them into porcelain nativity scenes, you know, or artsy posters in our offices. 
But let's not cast out the privileged people lounging on ivory couches just yet. Let's not throw people like me into the outer darkness just yet, because these later chapters of Luke surprise us. Not only are the marginalized people at the center of God's embrace, which they are, so are the swindlers. So are the wasters of money. So are the spoiled rich kids. So are the tax collectors. So are the crooked managers. So are the corrupt lawyers, the sleazy politicians, the quick thinkers and smooth talkers. All of them, all of us, surprise. (laughs) Oh, it's pretty easy to point fingers at the naughty in our world until we remember that we're all swindlers. We've all taken what God has given us and acted shrewdly with it. We've all made friends with dishonest wealth, bought clothes that were manufactured across the globe by children who get less than a dollar a day to make them, even in this day. We've all bought food from companies that have bamboozled tenant farmers who have families themselves in need. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. That's just what we wear, what we eat, not to mention what we drive, what we put into the air, the water, the soil. We are all covered with the stench of injustice. And these facts can be gently ignored, intelligently rationalized, outright rejected, or sentimentalized, just like the first part of Luke's gospel. It's easy to shame others until we realize that we too are all guilty. We too are dishonest managers of God's estate. But here it comes. God, while not approving and even hating are dishonest, dehumanizing, destructive ways. God has forgiven and commended us still, friends in Christ. This is a story about God and how God surprises us in God's response to our dishonesty, to our squandering. We're all expecting to be fired here, but God responds with love forgiveness, commendation, and a welcome back. It's even more than the owner in the story. God responds with even more than the story, than the parable. Jesus, of course, is fond of teaching by saying in his parables, if that's what this earthly character in my story does, the owner in this case, how much more will God do? I keep coming back to that prodigal. (laughs) Welcome back, you spoiled kid. I love you. Grace fills in the gaps. It covers the divides that we cannot cover. All that we have and all that we are comes from God and belongs to God. And today we have the gift of God returning, checking in, asking for an accounting of what has been entrusted to us. How are you doing with my stuff? God says to us today, how you doing? 
with my car? How you doing with my money? How you doing with my daughter? How you doing with my church? I used to think and talk about tithing as giving God 10% of our income. You see what I did there, though? (laughs) It was a wise person. He upset me and pointed out our income, Dan. Isn't it God's? Isn't it all God's? Tithing is not just giving a percentage of what's ours. It's seeing 100% of the money we receive in our lives as God's. All of it is God's and simply offering back or sacrificing 10% of it to God in joyful thanksgiving. That word sacrifice, by the way, it means, you know, I associate it with pain, sacrifice, right? But it literally means, I looked up, it literally means to make sacred. Sacrificing 10%, making sacred, making holy our money, actually. That's why I always encourage people here at Bethlehem to everybody touches the plate. Or I, I, we make these cards here that you can put into the plate if you give online. Um, or we come forward once a year and place our, our gift, our, our offering, our tithe, our pledge for the coming year on the altar. All, all ways of trying to sacrifice, to make holy, make sacred This is all very different than the kind of giving where you're directing funds towards something as a seal of our approval. I mean, that's that's pulling strings with, quote, our money or or giving to a cause or capital campaigning. All these things are wonderful and have their place in the church, but, but this is about something different. This text is about stewardship. And the first part of biblical stewardship is remembering what this parable first implies. That all that we have and all that we are comes from God and belongs to God. Try to catch yourself this week. Our children can help us with it. Just teach them. Help me insert every time I say my or our, God's. Hey, Dad, it's God's. (laughs) Hey, Mom, it's God's. It's it's God's money. It's God's car. (laughs) It's God's watch. It's God's hat. It's God's. (laughs) It's just a reminder again and again. Thanks be to God for all that we have and all that we are, for cars and families and children, for money and jobs and computers and land and homes and shoes and hands and beating hearts and the very breath in our lungs. Thanks be to God for all of it. And thanks be to God that despite our mismanagements, we are commended still. What might our response to this amazing grace be? To share it, I think is what Jesus would say. Share it. Go and do likewise. Try to make things right, as we prayed at the very beginning. That could be a response, to try to make things right. And to do what literal money says on it to do to trust in God. That could be a response, to trust in God. The the message is clear in this gospel text. We can't serve God and wealth. But even when we do, God loves us still. 
God is gracious now and into eternity. Amen. at Bethlehem Lutheran Church, thank you for listening. Check us out again soon. And to learn more about our national church body, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, visit elca.org. Goodbye for now. And remember, God's outpouring of grace and peace never runs dry. Here's to a new day. Evangelical. That was terrible. To learn more about our national church body. Start over, start over. (laughs) Okay. Is that hard? No, not really. Pretty easy? Yeah. You're good at it.